Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast where we talk all things vintage baseball, baseball cards, you name it. I'm your host Mike Moynihan this week and every week. And man, what a what a great week in baseball we had, you know, the Field of Dreams game. The races are all heating up for baseball. I love seeing just all of it go down and observing because my Rangers are terrible. So that's not going to be an issue with them having to compete for a playoff spot, but I do enjoy following the game. I love seeing history being made. We've got Miguel Cabrera, hopefully within the next few days hitting career Homer number 500. He's already a lock for the hall of fame. He doesn't have to hit 500 to get in, but uh, I love seeing big accomplishments like that. And what's, what's cool about things like that is Miguel Cabrera talking about our topic for today. And I have a guest that I'm going to bring on here in a minute to discuss this. Miguel Cabrera on his team, whenever he's been, he's been the guy on his team. And what we're talking about today is the topic of overlooked Hall of Famers. And you see this periodically through baseball history where there are guys that are legendary. And then there's guys that were their teammates that were really, really good but always overlooked, overshadowed by their more popular, better teammate for whatever reason. And so we're going to talk about the overlooked guys. I've done underappreciated Hall of Famers before in a video. I think this is a little bit different take on that, a little bit uh, of a variety to that, because there are some really great cards. These are some great players that you can go out and get cards of. But you don't want to hear me just talk about that, because that's kind of boring. I'm not the funnest guy in the world, but hey, this guy is. Well, hardly. <laughs> and it's Don from Field of Dreams Cards on YouTube. Hey, Don, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be on this podcast. I don't think I've missed one. Um, not saying this because you have me on, but I, I honestly really enjoy your vintage podcast. It's right up my alley and uh, honored to uh, to finally make a, a uh, episode with you. Well, I'm happy to have you. And speaking of right up my alley, you just said it. And, you know, when you started making videos, I want you to tell your story in a minute. Okay. But I remember somehow I got hooked onto your channel through someone giving you a shout out or something, or maybe you were commenting on my videos. I, I don't remember exactly, but once I saw you doing your stuff, I was incredibly impressed with your collection, the way you collect. It's very, uh, you think the way I think a lot and, yep. and not that that's, necessary to be friends with somebody in the community but you just connect on a different level you go man okay this guy gets it the way i get it 
maybe tell everybody kind of your because um, your channel is relatively new, Correct. creating content. <clears throat> tell everybody how you got started with that, and then maybe even to start before that, tell some of your collecting history and how you got started collecting. Yeah, so like many of you guys, and I think you're the exception because I don't think you've ever stopped, Mike. I I've had my periods of, of collecting as a kid. Um, you know, I've said this on a video. I started in 1976. I, I had fallen off my bicycle at the neighbor's house and tore up my knee and got 15 stitches when I was nine years old. And uh, the woman across the street bought me a pack of 1976 tops. Um, I, I wish I remember who was in that pack, but I don't. But that's what got me started. And uh, I, I've done a video on my run of 76 tops Hall of Famers and collected all through the 70s, early 80s, got into high school, got interested in what you get interested in high school. You know, cars, cars. cars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cars, like you said, and I quit. And then uh, late 90s or early 90s, I was still buying some cars, started again up until about 2007 or eight. And I uh, used to be in real estate and everyone knows what happened in 08, 09, the real estate crash, lost my job and I had to take care of my family and sold my cards. Um, and, and it was nowhere near the collection I have now, but there's still some cards that I sold that I'm like, man, I wish I had those cards at that price. And uh, started back the last couple years um, and, and I'm going full force. Never dreamt that I would have a YouTube video, that I would go to national, that I'd be on a podcast. Like, just didn't even think about that stuff. And uh, you had asked me, you know, about getting on YouTube. I've actually been a follower a lot longer than a, a content creator. And your channel was one of them amongst other guys. And uh, it, it must have been in December. So I was watching a video with Eric, those back pages with somebody's guest. And in the comments, I made a comment saying, boy, I'd love to make videos, but I'm afraid to. And he said, do you have a uh, smartphone? And he was talking about having all these boxes that he would just sit the smartphone on. He's like, you don't have to show your face. Just make a video. And uh, so I did. And, you know, I think we all laugh at our first video. I'm like, God, I'm so nervous on this video. But I did. And uh, that was eight months ago. And, um, you know, just I, I've had encouragement from many people on their videos. You being one, giving me the push to go to the national. And um, my main goal was, and I've heard this said many times, you're not going to get rich making videos or famous. And that was not my goal. My goal was really, I had no one to talk to about these cards. Um, and I saw the friendships that some of you guys had. And, and to be honest, I was jealous. It's like, man, I wish I had someone to talk to like that. And uh, so I just immersed myself in the YouTube community. And um, so I look back, huh? <clears throat> you never looked back, right? That is correct. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a very common story, the one you're telling, right? Guys that maybe we call them lurkers, right? They're just watching content, maybe not even interacting in, in the comment section or whatever and just watching. And there's a lot of people that do that. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Right. But I think you can be a testimony to how much richer the hobby is for you once you decided to immerse yourself in the community. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. The friends I've made, and, and I was very fortunate to get to meet a lot of you guys in person a couple of weeks ago. There's still many of you that I'm friends with on here that I've never met. Um, 
that I plan to in the future. Or the beauty is now, if if I go to Dallas, if I go to Philly, if I you know go wherever, there's a good chance someone lives there. My daughter lives in New York City. I was telling Brian B. Ross Six. Next time I go visit her, you know, I'd love to take you out to lunch. And this was before I met him at the National, which now it's going to be even nicer to see him again. And uh, it's just awesome. Yeah, and it's again. I think people are, I don't know if afraid is the right word to get involved in the community, whether it's again here on YouTube, <clears throat> on Instagram, blowout forums, you name it. There's all kinds of ways to find community within the hobby. There is. And what I tell people, it, it is a little intimidating, even at the national I mean, people like yourself, Silver Jackify, Eric, you guys have been around a long time. JT, y'all have kind of a, a really good friendship and bond. And we're like the new guys going in like, you know, these guys didn't care about us, which y'all did. It was amazing. You guys all welcomed us. Um, I did see myself gravitating to other guys. It was their first time at the National because we were all clueless. But there's so many people there. Like you said, you sent me a text. I was on the way to the airport to fly home. You're like, it was great meeting you. I wish I would have got to spend some more time with you. It's It's impossible. There's just too many people to sit down and have a conversation like this. And when you invited me to come on, I was like, oh, that's great. You know, we can sit down and talk a little more. And, um, you know, that's that's the beauty of that. For sure. <clears throat> you know, we try to be welcoming as a community. I mean, all, all are welcome. Uh, it's it is hard to divide your time. I do. You know, it, there's just so much of it. You mentioned the national. It was your first national you'd ever been to yeah. right this yeah. year in Chicago. Tell me just a Cliff's Notes version of your experience and what you thought of the show. Um, first of all, what everyone tells you it is, it is. You know, they weren't BSing you. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, again, I said in my video, it was my first national, so the crowd didn't bother me because I didn't have anything to compare it to. I didn't have a baseline of it being less people. And I found that what I was looking at, the tables weren't super crowded. You could kind of tell where there were the young guys or basketball cards. Those tables just weren't my personal interest. Um, you know, one thing, one piece of advice I would have, if you can book early, do it. Um, my hotel was only a mile away and I had booked late and that doesn't seem like a big deal, but the Ubers add up and they were hard to get because there were so many people. You'd have a 25, 30 minute wait, you know, where, a lot of you guys have stayed right there. So if you can do that, that's such a, that's something I learned like, okay, for the next one, I'm getting in early and I'm getting close. Um, yeah. I, I think that's overlooked a lot because if they're long days, right? You're exhausted. I don't, I've, you can't under, overstate that. I don't think people understand if you've never been, how tired you get your feet hurt and yada, yada. I could run over in the med, med afternoon and chill out for an hour in my room. It's literally across the street. That's quite convenient. If you're a mile away, it doesn't seem like, like you said, a lot of a lot of distance, and it's not normally. But you can't just run over to your room and either drop some stuff off or, you know, take the load off for a little bit. You had to really plan out your day. Yeah, and I didn't even go Sunday because it was at the point I was going to, and then it was like I've got to check out now. I got to carry my luggage around. You know, I don't want to walk around the show. I was pretty happy with what I had picked up. So it was like, you know what, I'm just going to, and I was meeting my wife in downtown Chicago. So it was like, 
I'm just going to head down there. Where my hotel room was across the street, I could have left my luggage at the front desk, went over, spent a few more hours over there, which I probably would have done. But it was just the inconvenience of it. So it's, uh, you know, if you can stay close to it. But overall, you would say, based on your entire experience of going to the National, that you would encourage others that have never been to you find a way to It's not like anything else. Um, first of all, it's off my bucket list. So I've done it. And, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record here because the cards were fantastic. I saw stuff that I can't even imagine seeing. I, you know, I, I said on my video that I, I negotiate on a $30,000 card, card trying to pay $26 for it. Never dreaming that someone would let me hold a $30,000 card in my hand. But the people, it, it, it's what this hobby is all about. You know, your get together, uh, Filmington and Pepino's the next night it was just so much fun. I uh, had dinner all three nights with different groups of people. And, um, you know, everyone was what I expected them to be. Like I said in my video, too, you know, the, nobody was a jerk, just, just nice people. And it was, you know, how do I phrase it or say it? It's um, it exceeded my expectations just to meet these people. And it's it wasn't awkward. It's like I felt like, oh, I've talked to this guy a million times. And we all say that. It's true, but if you can do it, you've got to at least go to one once in your life. If you're as passionate as you and I are, and a lot of these guys that are going to watch this are, you have to go. Yeah, I echo those sentiments about the people. I echo the sentiments about going. I, I try to encourage people every year to go. I've already booked. We booked an Airbnb this year because we decided a bunch of us wanted to stay together instead, instead of multiple hotel rooms. Sorry. <clears throat> So we booked an Airbnb already. Yeah. If you can do that year out, you can't do hotel rooms right now. Right. So we've already booked it, paid for it. It's we're we're going to AC. And uh, I talked to someone about that. He was like, I don't know if I want to go to AC. I'm, I'm from New York City and I've been there and it's this and it's that. I'm like, what about if four or five of us got just what you said, an Airbnb? We could all hang out. If we don't want to go out to dinner, we can make dinner one night, share our cards. Like, and he's like, oh, I would do that. I'm like, it'd be awesome. You know, people complain about Atlantic City because you got to fly to Philly or, you know, drive or whatever. Right. Dude, that's an hour and a half at the beginning and an hour and a half at the end. That's what don't, I did. <laughs> yeah, don't let that be the impediment from enjoying all the stuff in the middle that right. you would get to enjoy. I agree. You know? So, yeah, it might be a little bit of an inconvenience, but it's not the end of the world. People do it all the time. and. Yeah. It, it, it's not that big of a deal. If you're really passionate and you want to see these cars and meet these people, it's a small, small sacrifice to make. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's get to our topic du jour because I'm excited to talk Absolutely. about this because you and I, when we were prepping for this video and discussing this, we came up with a list of these overlooked and overshadowed players really quickly, didn't we? I mean, we were just spitballing and we're like, oh my gosh, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And we, we came up with this really quick. I see we're both at the same point in our lives where we have to put on our readers to, really? to be able to that tells you all you need to know about Don and I and, and where we fall in the uh, age bracket. But man, I the, the first one is actually, I, I don't know what order you want to go in. There's, there's so many great ones. Um, Let's do the Dodgers first, because in the sixties you had a team, at least for that stretch of time when Sandy Koufax mm -hmm. was the greatest pitcher maybe we've ever seen. 
during a five-year stretch. Uh, people don't understand that Koufax's greatness was not very long-lived. Not at all. But he was so much better than everyone else. It wasn't even, I mean, there was no competition whatsoever. And he retired so early. I mean, think what he could have done if he kept playing. But I believe he's been in the Hall of Fame almost 50 years. Yeah. That's 1971, I think, 72, something like that. So what's that? Yeah, almost 50 years. Good grief. Um, but he had an amazing pitcher teammate in Don Drysdale. He did. Who I think is incredibly overlooked and overshadowed for that Dodgers team by Sandy Koufax. What do you think about that pair? So absolutely. So when Mike came up with this idea, it was like uh, none of these guys – are better than the guy that overshadows them. But if they didn't have this guy on their team, they would probably be the best player. Maybe not that ever played for that team, but in that generation that he played with that particular player, he would have been the best. And uh, I'm going to try doing this, Mike. I was having a hard time before, but. This You're is showing a, why. we are on a podcast. You have to describe. Yeah, right. We have a 1956 Sandy Koufax and a 1957 rookie Don Drysdale. Yeah. But without a doubt, Don Drysdale would have been the best Dodgers pitcher in the 50s and 60s, especially the 60s, because Koufax really wasn't that good in the 50s. Right. But the 60s was that time period that you were talking about where he just dominated. And, um, you know, you're going to see many more examples of this. It's just these are not just marginal Hall of Famers. Don Drysdale is a bona fide star Hall of Famer. But when you say who was the best pitcher on the Dodgers in the 60s, Sandy Koufax is who you're going to say most likely. Yeah, because Sandy Koufax is in the breadth of greatest, you know, he's in the conversation for greatest of all time. Absolutely. And just so dominating. And you're right, Dresdale in his own right was amazing. Now, here's a question for you that we probably want to answer as we go through these. Okay. And that is, how good would each of them been individually versus how much better they made each other by playing on the same team? Is there some component to that that matters? You know, I haven't really thought about that, but I would say for pitchers, no. Because I think a pitcher is just, he's out there by himself. Maybe a hitter, yes. You know, if I'm, uh, you know, um. Babe Ruth batting number four, and I'm Lou Gehrig batting number three. Maybe I'm going to see better pitches than Babe Ruth is. Um, you know, there's that possibility, or or maybe they'll pitch around me to get to the next guy. Um, you know, so that's kind of where I feel on that. Um, well, we'll definitely be able to talk about it as we get into hitters. Uh, yeah. Who's the first hitter combo you want to talk about? You so about we'll stick with the Dodgers. So okay. we have the next one, we have Jackie Robinson, who's obviously everyone knows. And right. I, you're going to know all these guys. But the comparison we picked was Duke Snyder. Right. And Duke Snyder might have been the third best center fielder in New York, not even on his team. He was overshadowed by Mays and Mantle. Um you know, but when you think of the Dodgers of this era, there's so many. You could add Campanella, Snyder, or I'm sorry, uh, Reese. Um, Bill you know, Hodges. Bill Hodges, the pitchers, Jim yeah. Gilliam, Don Newcomb. Um, but 
this guy was another bona fide all-star. And I'm, in a few cases, I've got cards from the same year that I'm going to try to show. And I do have some price comparisons. Like, for example, uh, with Robinson, the, the price difference, if these were both fours, and I – and these are 56s. I, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting. This is a podcast. That's all right. One's a four and one's a three. So a 1956 four Robinson is $827. And, and this is average on VCP. Sure. Um, a Snyder PSA four is $122. A PSA three 56 Robinson is $425 versus $50 for a 56 three. So were their abilities that much different? No but the value in the card community. So not only is there a difference in, in, in the history of Major League Baseball um, with these guys, but in the hobby, the price difference, you know, they're both Hall of Famers, but, you know, this guy's always going to be a lot worth a lot more than the Duke Snyder. And I have a few examples of these we'll go through. So that was it for the Dodgers. But I'm, what about – so I, I'm going to throw out some – cards maybe okay. for these Dodgers guys that like Drysdale his tops run goes from 57 through 69 okay uh, you can get his tops cards I I think Don Drysdale has a lot of great cards out there I I, I really love his rookie card of course uh, 57 is just chock full of just amazing cards right so many great rookies in 57 tops and but Drysdale's is is pretty affordable actually given his stature in the game. And that's, that's what you're going to see a common theme as we talk about these overlooked overshadowed players <clears throat> that, Hey, they're greats of the game, greats of all time in the hall of fame. And yet hobby wise, like you said, they're also overlooked and overshadowed. And this is really good gauge. If you're new to vintage and you're watching us, you're like, want to get really good hall of famers. You know, the first guy we're going to show is going to be expensive in most cases. The second player that played in shadows, that's a great place to start. They're, they're great players. They have great cards. But the prices are going to be a lot more for, affordable. And if you're just learning the vintage side um, of it, that's a great place to start. Totally right. agree. Totally agree. And that's kind of the point of doing these episodes is to give people ideas and how to because there's so many people that are intimidated by vintage intimidated right. by the high prices and this and that i don't want to get scammed i want to buy a real card all the things that i worried about 15 years ago when i started really getting heavy into vintage <clears throat> there the, the concerns are still there and so we're trying to try to give a voice of experience to tell you here's some ways to get into this. Absolutely. And Mike and I are very similar. Not only are we Hall of Fame collectors, we like our cards slab. And I'm not saying you have to have slab cards, but for me, unless you really, really know the hobby and who you're buying from, I'm nervous to buying these guys in raw versions. Um, you know, there's a few buyers that I do buy from and get them slab, but for me, it's a peace of mind. Um, I don't care if they're SGC, PSA, Mike's a little more on the PSA side, but that's fine. But I trust both of those companies. And for me, it's twofold. I, I, I believe that these cards are legit. And and both Mike and I, we buy the cards, not the the labels. You're not going to see nines and tens here tonight. Right. At least on my cards. And, and if something were to happen to me, my family at least can look at these and, and say, oh, this is a 19... 
52 Jackie Robinson, and it's in an SGC2, which I just showed. They wouldn't know what year that was, but, you know, in the grade. At least they could look it up and see what the price value is if they were to sell it or, or whatever. And that gives me another peace of mind. So it's all about peace of mind for me. Um, and I just like the way they look flat. So I 100% agree with everything you yeah. just said. So you can see why Don and I get along really well. Absolutely. Uh, the next one, can I bring up the next one? Sure. This one really stands out. When you, when you said this one was we were brainstorming ideas, I went, oh, my gosh, that's a great one. And that's Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews. Yep. Their careers ran pretty parallel with the Braves. Uh, Matthews is 52 tops, which, oh, by the way, if you're not keeping – up at home, the 52 tops Eddie Matthews rookie is probably the most expensive post-war rookie you can buy. Period, paragraph. That includes Mickey Mantle. That includes Willie Mays. Go try to find a 52 tops Eddie Matthews that doesn't cost you the price of a Lexus or whatever, a new car. Um, <clears throat> they are not cheap. Nope. And uh, and it's because it's a high number. It's literally the last card in the 52 tops set. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's... Uh, very sought after, very condition sensitive because it's the last card and will be rubber right. band, you know, yep. number one, number, and the last one. So super hard, hard to get. I only know a few people that actually own one. Uh, I am not one of those. So someday it's kind of a grail card for me. But Aaron and Matthews, right? Totally overshadowed Eddie Matthews was by Hank Aaron. Agree? Yeah. I mean, Eddie Matthews is in the 500 home run club. Yeah. But he played with arguably the top five greatest players of all time in, in most of his career. So I, again, it's not like people don't know about Eddie Matthews, but I am going to pull a rookie card when you're playing with this guy. Yeah. You're going to be overshadowed. And uh, that's a beautiful yeah. Aaron rookie. It's never a bad time to buy a Hank Aaron rookie. Ever. And that's the guy he, again, I mentioned him earlier. That's why I bought it. And at the time I was like, Oh my God, what did I do? I had, buyer's remorse and now i look at the price and like yeah you did all right did. <laughs> so you're gonna see a lot of 56s because that's kind of the cards where i have a player of each love it so you Eddie see matthews 56 tops yep. hey karen 56 tops tops which is actually willie mays sliding in yeah yeah but i did do their comparison on pricing so and, and i did them in psa not even though these are sgc's but a 56 Aaron PSA four average is $367. Eddie Matthews average is $46. So guys, again, going back, and this is a six, I did it on a four, but to get that card in a four for under $50 all day long, guys, like mm -hmm. there's no hall of famers out there. And you know, 4.5, you know, this is a little off center. With the corners and everything else, these are great looking cards. Yeah, people think you have to have these super high grades. No, there's that's a huge. I I feel it's a huge misconception because the cards are beautiful. You can find great examples of lower grade cards that are aesthetically gorgeous. You know, you'll find beaters too, like no question and. Absolutely. And sometimes you have to look for a while before you find that card. But, you know, at the National, I bought a 50 
uh, Bowman, Phil Rizzuto, and I was looking at a four and a five. It was only $10 difference. I bought the four because I thought it looked so much better than the five. Um, you know, and that's something I learned on YouTube. There's a lot of things I learned on here. I was not like that in the beginning. I was all about the grade. Oh, it's a seven. It's an eight. Got to get that. I wouldn't even look at the card. Where now, I look at the card all day long. Yeah. Over the, the grade. So I'm going to pull a set up. This was the first person you mentioned to me, and probably because I'm from Pittsburgh, um, this came to mind. But Roberto Clemente, again, arguably one of the greatest players in the game. Picked this card up at the National Edge. Did you, Mike? In the same I did. Game. 64 tops. Yep. So we both got fives. Um, and then his counterpart here, Willie's Pop Stargell. One of the greatest players to ever play the game. But, and they both have statues outside the stadium here in Pittsburgh. But if you ask someone from Pittsburgh who the greatest player to ever play the game is, and I'm going to take Hannes Wagner out of this guys that are still alive that saw people play, it's Roberto Clemente all day long. Um, I can name numerous, numerous guys on YouTube that are huge Clemente fans that have no connection to Pittsburgh. But I, I don't know of one Stargell collector that I follow anyways on here. Um, but yet, you know, if Stargell hadn't played in Forbes Field, he would have hit 50 or 500 home runs. He just played in that massive ballpark. Yeah. And again, you know, if you look at prices on those cards, um, like Clemente. Now, I don't have PSA to SGC, but that SGC 6.5 I just showed you is $52. A PSA 6.5 Clemente is $625. So, again, there's a massive difference in price in these players. And, um, you know, I'm sounding like a broken record here, but, again, Picking up a 1964 Willie Stargell, that's his second year card. Yeah. For that price. Which I would argue is one of his better cards because his 63 tops yeah. rookie card is the floating head, you know, yeah. four player. Like the Pete Rose. Rookie card, just like the Pete Rose, exactly. So the 64 is great for that. Plus, it's got beautiful color. It really goes well with the Pittsburgh right. uh, colors. It's, I know it's blue, but it's, I just I love the way the vibrance of the Pirates cards in '64 yep. are. Stargell is a hero here in Pittsburgh. I mean, he he was called Pops in 1979. Last time we won the World Series, all the hats he gave out the stars that everyone had. Um, unfortunately, he died a few months before they opened the new stadium, so there was going to be a big ceremony for him there. Um, but there's like I said, there's a statue of him outside the stadium. There's a statue of Clemente. There's a statue of Mazeroski who doesn't compare to these two, in my opinion, or anyone else's, but, um, and Hannes Wagner. But you're going to find, you can probably pick every team in baseball. And there was a, a really great player outshadowed by somebody. Yeah. Um, Stargell, of course, led the, we, this is after post death of Roberto Clemente, the We Are Family team of 79 that won the World Series. Um, <clears throat> you know, he, he, I think he got some recognition after, you know, sometime after Clemente had passed. He was certainly looked at as the leader of that Absolutely. franchise. And he played all the way. He's got cards all the way to 1983. I think his last year was 82 playing, but he has an 83 Donruss card. He has an 83 Fleer card. Last tops card is 82 tops. And his stuff, especially in the 70s and 80s, is super cheap. 
Oh, it is. Uh, it's unfairly cheap, and that's that's the whole point. <laughs> we keep again. You do, you do say that again, Don. You're going to see that with the lower end, what we're calling lower end Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, their prices are really reasonable. Well, let's get through a few more. Uh, okay. Some of the another big one I think is played for the is is a Cubs duo. I mean, when you think of the Cubs, greatest player of all time. Mr. Cub himself, right? Ernie Banks. But he played alongside a pretty great player through most yeah. of his career in Billy Williams, right? So you're showing some great 62 tops cards of Billy Williams. Fascinating about this. This is the one case where this, what we call the number one star's card, is worth less than the other guys. And uh, so this is Billy Williams' second year card with the tops trophy statue on it. But the uh, the banks in SGC seven, which I'm showing. Uh, no, I'm sorry, PSA seven. That I'm showing here is 158 dollars. The 62 Williams PSA is 245, and SGC, which I'm showing here with the Williams two seven, is about 20 dollars more than the PSA version. What's the card number on the Billy Williams? Um, 288. Yeah, so it's not a high number. I can't. I couldn't remember if it was a high number well, or not. That, that surprised me when doing this. That that card was going for more. Now, now, granted, guys, this is a very small sample. I had to pull from cards. I didn't have twenty or thirty different uh, examples of prices, but I didn't on these other ones either. And this was the only case where these guys, um, the Williams, came out worth more than the banks, which was shocking to me. But on average, we would all probably agree, yeah. or at least you and I would agree, that Banks cards are more expensive than Billy Williams cards. Yeah, without sure. doubt, especially when you get into the late 60s and 70s, and then Williams ended up on the A's, and you know Banks was always a Cub, which I think carries some weight, too. Never playing for another team. Um, I'm pro I don't think we need to go through all of these here, but there are a couple more that I think are worth showing. Go for it. And these two are examples of a player that might have been better than two other players. So, again, one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Willie Mays. Willie Mays. Yeah. And he outshadowed two other of the greatest players, Willie McCovey and Monty Irvin. I totally forgot about Monty Irvin. That's a great. I did, too, until I pulled that out. And, and Monty Irvin's hurt by all his years in the Negro Leagues, I think. But, you know, these guys looked up to him, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey. You know, he was a little bit older than them. These are two guys alone that had played for the the Rays or Expos or you know whoever who maybe doesn't have that total star player, greatest player to ever play for that team. But they happen to play with the Say Hey Kid, right? So, and I've well, got. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Little piece of trivia. Willie McCovey is also in the 500 home run. Yeah, that's right. He is tied for career home runs with someone else you've already shown tonight. Do you know who that is? Wait a minute. Let me see here. It's in the five. I'm going to say Eddie Matthews. You are correct. Okay. Eddie Matthews. Total lucky guess, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Great guess. They are tied. McCovey and Matthews are tied on the all-time. Oh, that's amazing. So. And then if you look at the Cleveland Indians, to me, in their history, I think their greatest player, at least from the 50s on, is Bob Feller. 
right? Pretty good pitcher from that era that got overlooked. It's in the Hall of Fame, Bob Lemon and Larry Doby. And how about early win? Yeah, for another one I could have included. You're right. I forgot about him. So, yeah. I mean, Feller, of course, um, one of the greats. I think he gets way – I think Feller is underappreciated for his career. I did too. Period. But he then overshadowed these other great guys that he played with. Doby, like you said, the first uh, African-American player in the American League. And he's overshadowed by Jackie Robinson. Um, right. As far as that goes. but Which is funny because Doby started just a couple of months later. Right. You know, it yep. wasn't like it was three or four seasons later. No, it was a few months. And then Larry Doby debuted right. in the American League. And then this is all from the same set. So to me, when I think of the Cincinnati Reds, I think of Johnny Bench. I mean, some people could say Pete Rose. Someone might say Joe Morgan. Tony Perez. But I think that Bench overshadows both of these guys. And I think that Morgan probably overshadows Perez as well. Well, and it's hard because Bench is by considered by many to be the greatest catcher of all time. Right. So he's the greatest at his position. He played on – I mean, and this is another problem. You Not a problem. It's a interesting – thing to think about how great the big red machine was you know you had george foster and cesar geronimo and dave concepcion and all these great players yeah and it's like and and of course pete rose you've got oh my gosh and joe morgan arguably top five second baseman of all time if not um right top three maybe uh and tony perez poor tony perez man he went from being overshadowed on the Reds to being overshadowed on the Expos to being overshadowed on the Red Sox. I mean, everywhere he went. I mean, there's another example. Does Gary Carter overshadow Andre Dawson or vice versa? I think he does on that team. I think because Dawson yeah. a lot with the Cubs. Here's what I'm curious to see what people think of. I don't agree with a lot of people about how great he is. And he's great. I guess just the value of his cards to me. And you're talking about Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Talk about a card that is so reasonable, or, or a player, Yogi Berra. Won all those championships, played with Mantle, Ford. These cards are so reasonable. I got this at the National for under $100, and it's an SGC4 1957 Yogi Berra. And there's other bears I have that, you know, I'm looking at the comparison here. A 57 mantle in a PSA 4 versus a Barra PSA 4, and I know this is SGC, is $1,000 versus 90. You know, and saying Barra is better than mantle, but again, on most teams, this is the best player on that team. You know, three, uh, how many World Series? I don't even know, 14 or something like that, or 10. Or Well, you know, in the Ken Burns documentary on baseball he talks about you know great teams and he didn't even name on on Casey Stingle who was the manager of those great Yankees teams in the 60s he 50s and 60s he named his all-time team and Mantle wasn't on it really but he he told somebody and I don't remember the context of it so I may flub this a little bit but he said I never played a game without my guy and his guy was Yogi Berra. Yeah. 
and they did a whole section on the baseball documentary about Yogi Berra and all his euphemisms and, but just his stellar career. I mean, he won three MVP awards um, as a catcher. He's the only catcher to win back-to-back MVP awards, by the way, just so you know. And yeah. so just that, he, and yet it was Mantle's team. Mantle was the hero in New York. And you could argue, and it wouldn't be that much of a stretch, that some people would say that Barra had a better career at his position than Mantle did at his. I'm one that thinks Mantle was obviously hindered by injuries and correct. I agree. And carousing and all the things that Mantle did, but he's a classic case of what could have been like a Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, or Ken Griffey Jr. And I'm not saying Ken, Ken Griffey Jr. obviously had an awesome career, but he also had all those injuries. Yeah. What could have been. And I think Mickey Mantle absolutely leads that, that group of guys. All you hear about man, when they talk about man, well, what if he had two good legs, you know, and whatnot, yeah. what if he hadn't, run over the sprinkler head in the 51 world series and right but he did so but he did that's right he still hit 536 career home runs so that's not a lot of those were the hangovers so that's that's right (laughs) but definitely mantle and and if you want to get a cheaper yankee from that era you could do barra you could do rizzuto you know whitey ford Ford stuff is super cheap not a Hall of Famer, but he's still a great player and a great card to get. Yeah. Um, I think another one we should touch on, because I think it's a pretty good comparison, is a cardinal, a couple of Cardinals. Uh, the first one I would like to talk about is Bob Gibson. Yep. Overshadowing Lou Brock. And you had those great Cardinal teams of the mid to late 60s. After the after Koufax retired, essentially the Cardinals took over, right? I mean, you had with no Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson instantly became the greatest pitcher, probably in both leagues. Uh, you, you could definitely argue that, right? He had some amazing. I say who's the best pitcher in the '60s besides Sandy Koufax? A lot of people would say Bob Gibson. At least I would. Um, you know, I don't think there's any comparison to anyone else coming up that he was probably the second best player. And I don't even know. When did he start? Okay, that's right. 59 is his rookie card. So he did spend the whole 50s pitching. I was thinking for some reason he was later. But I was showing in 1966 Tops Gibson. And, and one of my favorite cards, I just love this 63 Brock on the Cubs. Yeah. Um, one of the worst trades ever. Yeah, Lou Brock's rookie yeah. is 62 tops. Actually, kind of a pricey card. 62 uh, rookie, yeah. His rookie is pretty pricey, but so is Bob Gibson's. It's more pricey than even Lou Brock's. Rookie. Right. The 59. So, uh, the 59 Pepto Bismol card that is the uh, Bob Gibson rookie. So all of these overshadowed players, again, we keep saying this, but you can go, go hunt, go look. Uh, even before that, you had the great Stan Musial for the Cardinals, right? Right. So Stan is one of my favorite players of all time, if you watch any of my videos. And Stan's originally from Pittsburgh, where I'm from, um, about 40 minutes from where I live. And uh, my dad actually used to my, – my dad was a salesman for Colgate years ago, and he used to call on uh, Stan's in-law store. And Stan used to work in the store, but he, he never got to meet Stan, unfortunately, there, which would have been, made that store even cooler. 
but um, I just feel a connection to him that I can drive to where he grew up and just something about Stan Musial I love. And, and this is my favorite car to his, the 1954 Red Heart. And this comparison, I think there's a bigger gap than some of the others we've shown, but still he had a teammate that was a Hall of Famer, and that's Enos Slaughter. And I'm showing his 1953 Bowman, which I just think is a really awesome card too. So these are two of my favorite cards of these players. But Stan, the man, he's so underrated in the collection. Uh, Mike, I know you just got his rookie graded, and that's a great card. Um, and that card and his 48 Leaf are pricey. But after those two cards, they're all pretty reasonable. And this is one of the cases where the star player out of the group of the two of them, you can get great prices on these guys. This card can be pricey, uh, the 54 Red Heart. But um, – once you get past his rookies, his 60s cards are not that expensive. And they only go to 63. And he didn't have he didn't have a Tots card until the All-Star card in 58, I believe. Yeah. So there's not a ton of cards. So that's actually an easy run to finish if you get the rookies. There just aren't that many. Right. Yeah, I totally agree that Sam Usual is one of those way undervalued. I mean, go look at his career stats and you will understand what Don and I are talking about. He put up some incredible numbers, Had an, was an amazing guy. You know, every, every story you hear about Stan Musial is good. Um, I'm going to run through the last few. I'm just going to okay. say some others that we thought about that we'd love to hear. You know, put comments down below. Get a hold of me. Yeah, absolutely. That would be interesting to hear what other people come up with. Yeah, tell us some other ones that we haven't thought of, but – there's uh, Frank Robinson and Brooks Robinson on the Orioles, the great okay. Orioles teams of the early 70s. You've got Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. We mentioned it, or you mentioned it earlier quickly in passing, but that's another one. Where did Ruth so overshadowed Gehrig? Uh, and Yastrzemski, for example, on the Red Sox with Rice. You got uh, Greenberg and K Line, although their, their careers. Yeah, they didn't there. overlap, but still in Tiger Lore. Right. Uh, Yount and Molitor with the Brewers. You've got, you know, th there's others and others. We'd love to hear what you guys would there's throw out there. One that I didn't have on the list, Mike, that I just thought of, and I don't know what you think, but I think Jim Palmer way overshadows Eddie Murray. How about Ripken and Murray? Uh, yeah, and that's another one I could add. So it'll be really interesting. I mean, I think we came up with a really good list, but I'm sure there's so many that we haven't even thought about. And uh, that's what's fun about doing these things is we can go back and forth and, and talk and debate and, you know, whatever comments come up in the chat, it'll be interesting to, to see. Yeah. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Um, Don, man, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for all that you bring to the hobby, to the community and uh, tell everybody where they can find you on YouTube. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Again, I, I said this earlier, but I really appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the guys that, I've enjoyed getting to know in the hobby. Um, my channel is Don Field of Dreams Cards. You find me on YouTube. Just started doing a uh, Instagram page. I, I don't do much on that, but YouTube's my main uh, my main focus. And, and I'm a lover of vintage Hall of Fame cards, as is Mike um, and, and many of you other guys. Although I, I do enjoy watching uh, other channels. But uh, again, guys, if you uh, if you've got an interest in vintage, take a look at some of these cars we talked about, the lesser guys. You'll, you'll be able to start a really nice collection with those cars. Yeah, 100%. So 
man, that was a fun episode. That went quick. They always do. <laughs> they always do. But uh, again, Don, thanks for being my guest today. And uh, hey, we'll do another episode next week. I've got uh, Peter Steinberg from SGC, Don, uh, the president of SGC. I'm interviewing him. So that'll be fun. I'm doing that. What an SGC card looks like, Mike. That's what, it, what, what is that? No, that'll be a fun uh, interaction for Peter and I to have to see because he knows I'm a PSA guy. So I think he's going to try to convince me to come to the dark side, but probably won't work. But uh, it'll be a fun conversation. We're going to have a different kind of discussion. I think something he's looking forward to. And uh, yeah, that's what's coming up. So again, uh, everybody have a great one out there. Thanks for watching so much. Thanks for supporting the channel. Thanks for supporting the podcast. It really means a lot to me, all the feedback that I get. Really enjoy it. So, Don, have a good night, man. You too, Mike. Thanks. All right.